Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Due to the graphic nature of the content, Detective may not be suitable for all audiences. If you die standing erect, you're standing up, you're shot with a large caliber weapon, you're shot with something really big, you are run through with a sword and you die on your feet. You fall face forward, usually, equal and opposite, Newton's third law. Not flying backwards like they do in the movies, you go the other way in response to the energy from the bullets or the stab or whatever. When you hit the ground, there's something called a dead man's fall. That's retired detective Lieutenant Joe Kenda. He served 21 years on the Colorado Springs Police Department's Homicide Division and six years as commander. During his tenure, he solved 356 homicides and sent hundreds of murderers to prison. I'm Garzy Sloan for Investigation Discovery, and this is Detective. True stories from behind the yellow tape, the ones you don't hear on TV. On this episode, Lieutenant Joe Kenda tells us about his first homicide call. I was 26 years old. I'd been a policeman for about four days. I had graduated from police academy. I was working the street in uniform. Four days in, I am lost every place I went because I'd never lived there before. It was um, t high anxiety for me. Radio call comes out. Woman's been found shot to death in an apartment. 19-year-old Hispanic female, shot in the head, been dead for several days discovered by a family member. There were other policemen there when I got there, and my heart was in my throat. I mean, it was going like a trip hammer. I couldn't hear anything. I was just, I was so distressed about what I might see now, because I'd never seen that. And I walked in the door, and the first thing that stops you in your tracks is the odor. When you smell a decomposing human body, you never, ever forget that smell. It's burned into your brain.
forever and a day. The first time I smelled it, then it was absolutely awful. And it stopped me in my tracks, and the other cops thought it was very funny. They all looked at me, what's the matter, Kenda? Smell something bad? Everybody laughs. And I thought, you hard bastards, how could you do that? How could you joke about this? There's this girl who have her face blown off. The blood is now black because it's been there for three or four days. There are flies in the apartment. It is absolutely bloody awful. I want to get sick. I think I am sick. And I go outside to get some fresh air. I'm sweating. I go back inside. We do what we have to do. We discover this is not a murder. This is self-inflicted gunshot wound. A love affair gone badly. And this kid's 19 years old. Instead of finding a new boyfriend, she sticks a gun in her mouth and pulls a trigger. A permanent answer to a temporary problem? I saw that a lot. But that was the first time. I went home that night. I didn't sleep at all. All I could see was her. All I could smell was her. It just gave me the creeps. I couldn't eat. I didn't want to drink a cup of coffee. I didn't want anything. My emotions were just maxed. Lieutenant Kenda takes me back to his decision 42 years ago, to the time when he first decided to become a police officer with the intention of becoming a detective. He and his wife, Kathy, and their two children moved from Pittsburgh to Colorado Springs in March 1973. So I was in college, and I wanted to do something with my life that I thought was important. I wanted to do something I could control that I would rise or fall on my own abilities. I didn't want to do something that would be boring. It would be routine. I wanted to do something that was exciting. I wanted to do adventurous things. When I wanted to do something different, I thought, you know, I want to be a policeman. And if I'm going to be a policeman, I'm going to investigate the worst crime. Murder must be the worst crime. Because the worst can happen to you for doing it. They're going to put you in jail forever, or they're going to kill you. That intrigued me. So I informed my new wife, who is still my wife, I might add, that we are going to take Horace Greeley's advice and go west, young man. We lived in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We had two little tiny babies, 19 months apart. And she looked at me like I had eight heads when I said, we're going to go to Colorado and I'm going to be a policeman. So off we go. We load up our family machine and a U-Haul trailer and a bumper, and we head for Colorado. I joined the police department. I'm the first guy employed there with a college education. They all hated me. They all called me college boy you know, because they didn't like that. I ignored it. I went through the police academy, and now I'm a uniformed officer in patrol. No one goes into investigations when you start on a police department. You must prove yourself on the street. You must be two or three years in the street. You keep your nose clean. You do a good job. You do good reports. You don't do something stupid. You don't shoot somebody you shouldn't, so on and so on. Then you get a recommendation from your supervisors. You can then apply for investigations. So my plan... This whole time is that I'm going to go in the street, I'm going to do my three years, and then I'm going to be a detective because, by God, that's what I wanted to be. When I went to that girl's house that first day, 
I thought maybe I needed to rethink my entire plan because that upset me so badly. I mean, so badly. And I thought, do you, are you sure? I mean, is this it? Is this what you want to do? I said, yeah, it is. Nobody gets to play God. Nobody gets to decide who lives and who dies. When somebody does something awful to somebody, you can stand up or you can remain seated. I decided I was going to stand up. And after I got involved in it a little bit and gotten good at it, I didn't care that they paid me. I was on a mission. When you're 26 years old and you imagine a career for yourself as a detective, but the first dead body you see makes you rethink everything, how do you go back to work the next day? That morning after that, seeing that girl and I couldn't sleep and I couldn't eat and I didn't have breakfast and I didn't have coffee and I went back to work because it's time to go to work. My heart's in my throat again. So I'm getting in that same police car I was in yesterday. I get in that car and I was convinced I could smell her in this car, which is not true. But I thought I could. I forced myself. I had my hand in the microphone to say I was in service, meaning I'm available for calls. And I stopped. I didn't pick it up. And I sat there, and I could see my shirt bouncing from my heart rate, and I said, okay, this is the moment. You've decided it's what you're going to be. So you fall off the horse, you get back on. Pick up that mic. I did. Four out of 21's in service. Immediate response. Roger, four out of 21. We have a domestic disturbance, following address. Here we go. Here we go. As time wore on, from that first to the second day, then the third day, then pretty soon it's the third week, then it's the third month, that feeling of anxiety faded away. Over time, didn't do it right away. There were a lot of anxious moments. Lots of times my heart was in my throat. Lots of times I was scared to death. Any policeman that ever tells you he's never been scared, he's lying to you. He's absolutely lying. He's either out of his mind or he's just lying. Fear is how you protect yourself. Moving through your fear is how you do your job. You experience the fear and you move through it. You just move through it. But you have that instant when you know this is this could be the one right here. As a homicide detective, death becomes your business. Over the course of Lieutenant Kenda's career, he has witnessed more death than he cares to remember. I have seen so many dead people over the years. It's hard to fathom how many, I don't know, thousands. In Colorado, it is the law that if you die outside the presence of a doctor or outside of a custodial medical environment, the police are called to determine method and manner. Manner being, is it an accident? Is it a suicide? Is it a homicide? Is it natural? And given this country's unbelievable capacity for narcotics, in the 1980s, they added a fifth one, accidental drug involved. It's never your intent to die when you inject yourself with some poison you purchased from a moron on a street corner. 
It's your purpose to get high. Sometimes it kills you because you bought the wrong stuff. That's accidental drug involved. An example of that process, 16-year-old girl, high school kid, gets a job in a shoe store in a mall. She works on Saturdays, and the mall, the store opens at 10 a.m. So her job is to come into the store at 10 o'clock and sell shoes, her first foray into employment. She arrives on time at the mall, and all the stores are open except hers. The chain mail is down, and all lights are up. She thinks, wow, that's odd. There's, of course, an access corridor in the rear of all the businesses for employees. She goes, gets her key, goes in the back. Comes through the back door, there is the 35-year-old manager of the shoe store, face down on a concrete floor. He is in a puddle of blood 10 feet across, at least. This huge river of blood, and he's obviously no longer alive. She freaks, and she calls everybody and her brother, and of course the uniforms show up. They tuck one look at this, blood everywhere, call homicide. So I get there. And they say, oh, it's horrible, man. Oh, man. You know, the mall security's there. Everybody's there. Everybody's frantic. The press is climbing the walls. Uh, so I look at this body. There's a, a unique factor in uh, humans. When they die, if you die standing erect, you're standing up, you're shot with a large caliber weapon, you're shot with something really big, you are run through with a sword, and you die on your feet. You fall face forward, usually, equal and opposite, Newton's third law. Not flying backwards like they do in the movies. You go the other way in response to the energy from the bullets or the stab or whatever. When you hit the ground, there's something called a dead man's fall. One of your feet will cross the other one. Without question. It could be left over right, right over left, but one of them will. So you look at this body and I see the cross feet. He died standing up. A little unusual if this is a robbery for him to die so quickly. I don't think it's a crime. There's no forced entry. Nothing's missing. We just have this dead guy, but there is this huge, huge puddle of blood. Malls are built at a slight weird downward angle to the exterior of the building. It's very slight, but it's there. The reason it's there is if they have to turn on the sprinkler systems or there's a fire in the building, the water will drain out of the building. So there's a gradual slope to the floor. It's hard to see, but it's there. When he hits that concrete, he's 6'4", he weighs 230 pounds. He's a dead guy. When he hits the concrete... He breaks his face. The orbits around his eyes, his nose, his teeth, his everything breaks. Jawbone. But he never feels it because he's already done. But because he creates an avenue for bleeding and he happens to be faced toward the exterior wall, gravity takes over and he bleeds out. Because he's there all night, bleeding. There's no pump. There's no blood pressure. His heart's not working. But it's a matter of just physical drainage. So his entire blood supply is all over this floor, which is why it looks like he's been murdered by Jack the Ripper. In fact, he has a broken face. That's all he has. But that's all he needs to produce that amount of blood. 
So I'm looking around, everybody's still frantic, bouncing around, and I go to the desk, and I see a pharmaceutical fold on the street. It's called a bindle. You fold a piece of paper in such a way to contain powder so you don't lose any, hence the pharmaceutical fold for drugs. Very common among drug dealers when they sell cocaine, they do pharmaceutical folds. On the desk is a spoon, burned black on the lower side. Now, what's this guy doing? He's been snorting cocaine probably for a couple of years, and he doesn't get high off it anymore. So he's going to melt it, and he's going to inject it in his arm. He's going to liquefy coke and take it IV like you do heroin. Problem is, he didn't buy this from a drug company. He bought it from some idiot. What's the level of concentration? How pure is it? What's the percent of cocaine versus rat poison or talcum powder or anything else drug dealers cut it with to add to volume to increase their sales and reduce their costs? That's their MO. So he melts his crap and he puts it in his arm. That will kill you like you turn off a light switch. It shuts down your major organs in a microsecond. And I told one of my guys, I said, when we roll him over, there's going to be a needle in his arm. We roll him over, there is his needle. He never had a chance to pull it out. He popped it, and he's dead. And when he hits that concrete, broken face, blood everywhere. Oh, my God, it's a murderer. No, it isn't. Accidental drug involved. I wasn't sick to my stomach. My heart wasn't in my throat. I was clinical. You become a professional. Detective is produced by Investigation Discovery, with special thanks to Kevin Bennett, Amy Angelowitz, and Emily Kaiser. Many thanks to the best audio engineer in the business, the mighty Joe Powers. Original music was composed by the talented Chris Kennedy. Cover art was designed by Anand Galat. Sign up now at iTunes to get new episodes of Detective on your feed. And join me, Garnsey Sloan, for an all-new episode coming in two weeks. Next time on Detective. People always ask me, what is the toughest case you've ever had? The hardest cases for me were children. I hated that. I have kids. I, there's nothing more innocent than a child. Humans are capable of things that don't occur anywhere in Mother Nature. Only humans do things like that. Animals kill for need. Humans kill for pleasure. That's why they're so dangerous.